Hello, everybody, and welcome again to Nerd of the Third Power, your one-stop shop for all things nerdy and awesome. I'm your host and master of ceremonies, Dr. Gonzo. Cat is, unfortunately, this week out on assignment in Mogudishu, uh, but we have our other co-pilot, uh, Skyblaze, joining us this week. Skyblaze, how are you? Uh, I went to a party. Mistakes were made. Oh, so many. So many mistakes. Uh, did, did, you, did you wake up in a, in a strange hotel in possession of an unexplained tiger, chicken, and mariachi band? No, I woke up in, some, in, in a bed in a friend's house with uh, still wearing half my costume, which included a pair of steampunk goggles, and I was like, there, why can't I see? And then realized I was wearing goggles. That was yeah. embarrassing. Did you, did, you, uh, did you bring some of your mother's patine to this party? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and it's pronounced Pachin, but never mind. <laughs> okay. For those who are not aware, that's a joke from a previous episode. Go look it up on the TV Tropes Pangalactic Gargle Blaster page, and then go and look up uh, Irish Potato Vodka on Wikipedia. <laughs> and uh, our correspondence corner is uh, empty as well. Uh, I haven't have had to uh, punish Brian and John for uh, transgressions that are best left unspoken. So it's uh, it's just the two of us this week, but that's fine because we're discussing a topic we're both really excited about, and that's Sonic the Hedgehog's 25th anniversary. So we're gonna do the same thing like we did with Mario. We're gonna look up, take a look back at the Blue Blur's history and uh, how he's impacted the gaming scene over the years, and uh, what we think his future might hold. Hopefully, uh, not any not more Sonic Boom Rise of Lyric. Oh dear Lord. But, of course, there is procedure to follow, so we're going to be in the show as long as with Ask a Geek. And I've got a few questions here just for you, Skyblaze. Yay. So, uh, first question here comes from the Facebook. It is from Phil Grady, and he asks, Being a fan of Reboot, I'd be interested in knowing what you thought of War Planet's Shadow Raiders. Which, uh, that was another mainframe uh, TV series, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Um, known primarily in this country as Shadow Raiders. Uh, I'm not sure why they, they ditched the other title over here. Um, ITV probably had something to do with it. Uh, yeah, I did watch it. Um, I don't remember it as clearly as um, Reboot and Beast Wars and Beast Machines, possibly because I haven't rewatched it since it's, it first aired. I do remember quite liking it, uh, but I also remember that it, I don't think it actually had a proper conclusion. I think it ended on a cliffhanger, which was a really bloody irritating thing to happen because it actually it had a fairly decent story. The they didn't they clearly were using the upgraded. Uh, animation that they'd used for re- the later seasons of Reboot. Um, all of the, your, the our old favourites from uh, Reboot and, and Beast Wars were, were back doing the voice acting, so the voice acting was obviously brilliant. Um, but and it, it was quite dark in places, you know, they, they were basically like there was planetary genocide going on and, and desperate refugees trying to keep their culture alive. And there was a lot of depth to it, uh, but as I say, it's a shame that I, I don't think I, I think it ended on a cliffhanger. I don't remember it actually getting a proper conclusion. See, I I that, that kind of surprises me because I remember the toy line that the series was based off of, and I remember even as a kid, I thinking that the the toy line was stupid as hell. Um, I remember I remember thinking that the the, the Beast Planet was just a, a shameless ripoff of Unicron. Uh, Basically, yes, but. Um, the interesting thing about the show was that all the different planets had their own culture and 
uh, hang-ups and, and issues and, you know, prejudices. And that was actually pretty interesting and pretty in-depth for a kid's show at the time. Hmm. Maybe I'll have to go back and look it up. So, because I also remember as a kid thinking that Star Trek was stupid. And, well, you know, I, I, I saw the light later on. So. Well, it, t- it took us how long to get you into Doctor Who? And then you became like... You, it was like that scene from the Blues Brothers. I have seen the light. Well, see the thing, my, my, the, 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 I was never, I was never outright hostile to Doctor Who. I just didn't know anything about it. Yeah, just I, like, I didn't this? know anything oh, okay. about it. But my dad, when I was a kid, fucking loved Star Trek, and he was, he was I, the, the 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 time I remember him being most clearly into it was in the first season of the Next Generation, which mm. uh, spoilers was not very good. And I thought it was just boring as hell, but he fucking loved it, and he would watch it every night. And I just, like, it was kind of one of those things, like, you know, you're a kid, it's like, oh, my parents like this. That means it's automatically awful, and I must hate it. So, so again, I never really had that, because my parents have really good taste in, in music and TV, for the most part. My dad will watch pretty much anything, but if he, because he'll watch it and say, this is shit, or he'll watch it and say, this is awesome, you should watch it as well. <laughs> and usually if he says, this is awesome, you should watch it as well, he's right. So, <laughs> man. So, but um, but yeah. So I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I have to go back and, and look up War Planets, assuming I can I can find a copy of it anywhere. Anyway, next question, also from the Facebook, comes from Nick, and he asks, "What are your opinions on the upcoming Sonic the Hedgehog movie being a live action CGI hybrid film?" To which my immediate response is, "Oh Christ, it's going to be Sonic 2006 on celluloid." Now that rumor's been floating around for a while, and there's been no official confirmation from Sega so far. In fact, most of the confirmation that, of the information that we've had from Sega, uh, including from uh, Ruby Eclipse, who I think is still the community manager for Sega of America, has suggested that it's going to be all CGI. There was a fake um, press release that was doing the round saying that there were going to be, the, some of the actors had been signed for it. Uh, and it was complete bollocks and anybody with half a brain could tell it was complete bollocks um, it was it was one of those troll the lol this is really funny because it'll annoy all the Sonic fans things and it uh, meh uh, it just wasn't very it wasn't very convincing and it wasn't very funny and it was clearly bollocks um, so most of the information we've had suggests that it's going to be all CGI if it's not they might be able to pull it off there was the um, the short fan movie that I can't remember who the hell it did it. It done a, it done a, a couple of Mega Man films before, and got Jaleel White to voice Sonic. And the CGI was a bit ropey, but it was it was like a couple of guys on a tiny budget trying to do it. So an actual animation studio with actual actors and decent CGI might be able to pull it off. It could happen. See, I, it's the thing is, like, I'm trying to think, because uh, the thing, the thing about Sonic is he has a very, he, he has a very specific style to his character design. Mm. You know, it works well in traditional animation. It works well in 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 computer uh, animation. Um, you know, uh, you know. So, it, but if you try and stack a cartoony looking hedgehog up against you know, real live-action actors. I just see like a, 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 I just see a Smurfs thing going down. I don't see it. I don't see it turning out well. I, I just, you know, 
I don't know. Again, it depends how they put it, how they pull it off. But as I said, most of the information that most of the Sonic community has had, and everything that I've seen on Sonic Stadium, suggests it's going to be all CGI. It's going to be all CGI. So. So I'm not sure how far I believe that one. So. Frankly. But that leads into a uh, another question here. This one from the email from Samuel, and he asked me, with the Ratchet and Clank movie come up coming up. What are some other movies that I think would be good for to be done in CGI films? And uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, I could see doing well as a CGI film. Um, I think because, like I said, you know, I mean, we, we finally, I think we finally got to the point where we can accurately uh, represent the the game characters up on the screen. So, uh, you know, as Ratchet and Clank is is proving. Um, so, I'd like, I think a Sonic the Hedgehog film would do pretty well. I think. And I, I realize that as I say this, that I may be, uh, you know, casting some portents of dark prophecy that may c- cause the, the sky to split and the earth to open and swallow us all whole. Uh, but I think that a Super Mario Brothers movie done all in CGI uh, could be done well, uh, assuming they got actual script writers uh, this time around and not a bunch of <laughs> and not a bunch of stoners high on speed like they did for the. The first well, that, movie. That, that film was in dire straits before anybody even got anywhere near filming anything. Because, like I said, the script was written by a bunch of teenagers they pulled off the street and gave speed. <laughs> I have no idea what happened there. I know the directors that they got ended up getting were the only ones who would go anywhere near it because everything was that bad. <laughs> yeah, and um, let's see. Uh, I think a Legend of Zelda film would be uh, would be epic. Um, I think they could, they could actually pull Legend of Zelda off um, with actual people if if they got someone if they got somebody like Wet a Workshop to handle the special effects and the makeup and the the and everything else then they might be able to pull it off. Lord of the Rings Wet a Workshop or Hobbit yes. Wet a Workshop? Well, it's the same company technically. But they did very different things between the yeah, two films. But do, how much do you actually know about the? about the story of the production around The Hobbit where it transpired they had about six weeks of pre-production prep I'm not, hey, I'm not, I'm not saying it was all their fault, mm. I'm saying it happened yeah, but yeah, with six weeks to actually do all the preparation that took you about a year and a half last time it's not going to fucking happen, is it? You know, that's something I never understood about film companies. It's like, oh, okay, here's this company that produced this this grand masterpiece of film this, that will live on in 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 cultural significance for for decades to come, and they put all this work and all this effort into it. Let's see if they can do the same thing in about a hundredth of the time. Yeah. It's like, I, I'm I'm sorry. Sometimes it's possible. I mean, look at the the script that uh, Nick Mayer produced for Star Trek Two. But this is one of those, you know, a million and uh, a million to one chance of something decent actually getting out the gate. It's it's not something you would do willingly unless you didn't unless you had no other choice. Yeah. So, but um, and let me think. Let me let me let me pull something from outside the Nintendo stable before I get accused of being a being a fanboy. Um, and this is where my mind goes completely blank. <laughs> uh, okay, this is going to sound like really kind of strange, but you know what I would? I think I would love to see done as a film. 
uh, as sort of a spoof of uh, of video game film video game films in general. I think 3D dot game heroes would be hysterical <laughs> to see. For those who don't know what I'm talking about, 3D dot game heroes was a game on the PlayStation 3, and it was basically um, a a mocking send up of the original Legend of Zelda. Like you know, everything everything was built on it was you know all the characters and environments were made out of little little cube pixel little pixel cubes. It was completely self aware of how absurd its premise was, and uh, it was just a laugh riot to play, and also you know really beautiful to see. Um, so I think if they did something like that, just mocking video game tropes and video game movie tropes, I think that that could be really clever. So, but then again. Maybe three people on the on Earth know what 3D Dot Game Heroes is, and two of them are sitting here doing this podcast. So I don't think that'll ever happen. <laughs> so yeah, that's all the ask key questions that we have for this week. As always, you can send them to us through the email at drgonzo at nerdofthethirdpower dot com, or if you follow us on Facebook, we have a permanent Ask a Geek thread on our Facebook page, so you can go ahead and drop them there. So go ahead, get your questions in. We love uh, reading them on the air and love answering your questions. So go ahead and get those questions in. And uh, in keeping with our new format, we're going to forego the headlines, and we're going to jump right into our discussion topic, which this week is the 25th anniversary of Sonic the Hedgehog, where we're very fortunate to have probably the biggest Sonic fan on the his- in the history of the world uh, here on the show. What so, that uh, for? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been to Summer of Sonic. <laughs> <laughs> I know that there are bigger nerds for Sonic than I am out there. Hi, Sven. Hi, Kevin. <laughs> I bet you're listening. So, yes, uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, jump right into our discussion topic. So, uh, yeah, I guess uh, the first question here to kind of give us a, a bit of context is, uh, Skyblaze, what makes you such a, such a big fan of Sonic the Hedgehog? What drew you to the franchise? Well, I, um, I got a, a Mega Drive after I got Super Nintendo. Um, I, picked, I picked it up, I think it was secondhand, for not too expensive. Well, my parents did. You get the idea. Um, and it came bundled with Sonic 2. Um, this being the mid-90s, uh, I live in the north. Games were expensive back then. Because it was, it was like 60 quid for a game. Um, and you, so you would, you, you would get like that. That would be like, what? I think nearly a hundred dollars. Yeah, so we we we, we kind of need to provide uh, some context for that because you know listeners over here in America who don't not know the rate of exchange like sixty bucks for a video game. Oh, cry me a river, honey. <laughs> yeah, that that would be yeah, that, the exchange rate at the time. I think it would be nearly a hundred dollars. Yeah, and that's that's a hundred dollars in like nineteen nineties money. So that's mm-hmm. like a, like for for many people that was like two weeks income right there. Yeah. Uh, so you would get games maybe twice, one at your birthday, one at Christmas, if you were very lucky. So new new stuff coming along was amazing. Uh, so I was like, well, this looks bright and colourful, let's give this a try. And basically had my eyes blown out of my head. Because <laughs> I was used to playing stuff, I mean, the, the fastest thing I'd played at that point was something like F-Zero. So something that required like that you could play over and over again and there'd be different areas that you could explore there'd be like different routes you could take you could see how fast you could get through the level and every time you went back and played it again you could get through it faster okay so i I guess that brings us to the 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 first portion of this let's let's talk about the gaming scene at the time so 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 sonic the hedgehog made his debut 1991 Mm -hmm. 
<coughs> Excuse me. So this was uh, this was six years after the NES had been on the scene. Mario was the king of the heap. And, uh, you know, of course, Nintendo was the, the, the big thing you had to have. Now, along comes this company, Sega. They had had a console before the, 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 the Mega Drive, or the Genesis, as we call it here, as, as we good Christians here in America call it, the Genesis. You know the rest of the entire <laughs> world calls it the Mega Drive. Yeah. I know, but I just can't resist the low-hanging fruit. <laughs> good grief. So, here, so along com- they'd had a console before with the Mega Drive, didn't really do a whole lot to eat into Nintendo's market share. But then along comes the, the Genesis and the Mega Drive. And it's something that's completely uh, completely new. Something that you know people hadn't, really, hadn't seen before. And uh, first real competitor to Nintendo's almost monopoly on the gaming scene. So um, I guess let, let's, let's talk a little bit about how Sega was doing this time. Because Sonic actually wasn't their first mascot, was he? There was, a, there, was one bef- there, was one, there was one that they were banking on before that that didn't do so hot, wasn't there? Uh, do you mean Zool or something else? Uh, uh, the one I was thinking was Alex Kidd. Well, y- yes and no. Um, there was actually a few of them, uh, a few kind of mascot characters that uh, cut, uh, that kind of had had games. Um, now, the 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 thing about Alex Kidd was that it it was never that huge. I mean, the, there was also stuff like there was uh, there was Shinobi uh, that had come before that, who as well, who had kind of been a, a bit of a mascot. Um, I can't remember if Kid Chameleon was prior to that as well, or Vector Man. I think I might Vector Man was after. Vector Man was a couple years after Sonic came mm. out of the scene. It, I tend to I tend to get confused because uh, a lot of the the release dates were all messed up in the UK, <laughs> because thanks international trading laws. Um, but yeah, uh, certainly Shinobi and, and Alex Kidd were earlier than that. Um, but Alex Kidd was, it was cute. And by the time you get to the early 90s, cute was not exactly in style. Uh, no, it, no, it was not. I, I, I remember well the early 90s. Grunge was the, the, the big deal. Twisted, Twisted Sister gave a, Rather impressive command performance at the uh, U.S. Senate Hall in defense of uh, rock music. And uh, the Just Say No uh, program was uh, in full swing. So, no, Cute was, uh, cute, cute was not in style. Re- re- you know, rebellion and, uh, you know, and, and disrespect for authority and parents just don't understand was, the, uh, was the, the big thing. So, no, Cute was not, well, at least over here in America, Cute was, uh, cute was not the, uh, the, the big thing. So, uh, so I guess that, that that brings us to my next question: is is what was the what was the big thing that Sonic did differently from everyone else that caused him to stand out so well in the nineties? It's really hard to say. Um, I don't know if it was like the just how different it was, because it wasn't just a it wasn't just kind of like you know carefully line up your jump, make the jump, catch the thing. Hit, jump, sort of jump on something's head. It was no, your reflexes are really fucking important, uh, but it wasn't unfair because a lot of the a lot of the kind of uh, certainly the microcomputer games of uh, from the late eighties, early nineties. Yeah, they were hard, but they were hard in a 
the computer is a cheating bastard sort of way. In the, this is just like beyond the scale of human reflexes. With Sonic, it was like, if you screw up, no, that's my fault. I did that wrong. And you could feel where you'd done it wrong, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then there's, there's of course, there's Sonic's aesthetic, which was, again, like, he was, he was, he was the first of what Teeny Tropes calls animals with attitude. You know, he had that that rebellious streak that was that was all the rage in the '90s. You know, you could see them. You know, you could you could you could if 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 we had seen Sonic's parents in the games, you could see Sonic going, "No, screw you, Dad. You're square. I'm going out and going skateboarding with the guys. Screw homework." Pretty you much. Know. And uh, you know, whereas Mario, you know, at this stage didn't really have much of a of a personality established. So here comes a, a game mascot that is not only fun to play with, but actually has like a personality attached to him. And it set off one it, one of probably the biggest uh, console rivalries ever in oh, yeah. gaming history. Oh yeah. Oh yes, many many. It was it was playgrounds divided in half. I am not even kidding. It was like you were a Sega kid, you were a Nintendo kid, never the twain shall meet. Which is why <laughs> I was kind of a pariah because I my parents were rich enough to have both. So it's like, the fuck's wrong with you? Oh, see, I you... don't know, I like them both, leave me alone. See, if you were over here and you had both, you became the ambassador. But no, it's like, it's, it's yeah, like, you know, you know, lines are drawn in the sand. You were either a Nintendo kid or a, or, or, or a set, or you either were Team Nintendo or Team Sega. You know, if little Tommy liked little Susie, well, that was tough shit because he had a Nintendo and she was a Sega girl and hands that held Nintendo power would never hold hers. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like... Fights were fights were had over over Sega versus Nintendo, and it just consumed allowances, destroyed friendships, leveled playgrounds until a last alliance of men and elves marched on Mount Doom to decide the fate getting, of Middle Earth. Getting off topic. Hang on. <laughs> um, the other thing I think that makes a big difference, and certain doing what I do for a living as a as a video game and chiptune DJ, a lot of people have talked about how the music from Sonic got them into music. Because, you know, they, they'd try and... They'd hear the tunes and they'd try and reproduce them on keyboard or guitar. Uh, because you could hum them. Oh, you know, yeah. the num- number of people I heard going around the playground, certainly when... So- especially when Sonic 3 came out, I got the, the, the music from Angel Island stuck in my head for about three weeks. It drove me nuts, but I couldn't stop humming it. And <laughs> it certainly what- drove my parents nuts. And what's certainly what's really noteworthy about about Sonic's music being one of its main draws is if you look at the Genesis hardware and its library, it really was not a big uh, was not uh, really a strong contender in the music department overall. So it really is a testament to the creativity and the talent of the writers on of, of, of the musicians mm-hmm. uh, who composed for the early Sonic games that they were able to create such catchy and noteworthy tunes. Yeah. Thanks to Dreams Come True and Gene Senaway. Cheers, guys. Uh, and Brad Boxer, who was involved as well. Uh, but... I'm with that thought, and I've lost it now. Its thread has slipped out of my hands. You were you were talking about how you, the, the, the music was stuck in your head. Oh, yeah. And so it became this thing where people would be talking about the music... And it's, as you were saying, it's like especially considering that the the capabilities technically of the Mega Drive were not that great compared to the the SNES. You know, in terms of pure ability to to make music, the SNES is a better console. But for some reason, 
on the Sonic games, they just knocked it out of the park. And that's true to this to, to this day, even uh, with the exception of Sonic Boom Rise of Lyric, which dare not speak its name. Um, even, the, even the Sonic games that are bad have got really good music. I mean, Sonic 06 has got the, uh, His World and Dreams of an Absolution, which are superb tracks, uh, as well as some of the level music, like... Um, uh, White Acropolis and uh, Water's Edge. Brilliant tracks. Terrible fucking game. Amazing music. So let's talk a bit about those uh, those early Sonic games uh, on the Genesis, which were wildly experimental uh, for their day, uh, particularly mm. uh, 2, 3, and Sonic and & Knuckles. Um, I think the, uh, the, the, the running joke that me and a, and a friend of mine have now, because we're, you know, we're big retro game collectors, the joke that we have between the two of us is that if you had every single copy of Sonic 2 ever sold, you could build a ladder to the moon. Pretty much. It was one of the best-selling games of all time, and, uh, also pioneered some things, uh, that, uh, that, uh, are both much beloved and much hated, uh, by Sonic fans this very day. Um, I don't think there's a single Sonic fan who has not woken up screaming in the night because their nightmares featured the drowning theme from Sonic 2. <laughs> I've, when I, st- I was playing uh, Sonic Generations, and I was playing uh, Seaside Hill. No, is it Seaside Hill? The, the one from uh, Sonic Heroes that features underwater stuff. Anyway. Yeah, I think. Um, and a friend of mine came over um, and I was playing it, and it was like, oh, hi, Jim, uh, how's it going? And he wandered in, and was like, what you doing? I'm playing Sonic, and I fell into the because he distracted me, so I fell into the water. And he then started screaming at me, oh, my God, oh, my God, get out of the water, get out of the water right now. I was like, Jesus, dude, are you okay? Like, no, I don't want to hear that noise. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you, you have trauma. I have much trauma. <laughs> Yes. And the thing that always really pissed me off about... I've never liked water levels in Sonic games. The thing that that really pisses me off about them is that you'll have a level where you can just really cut loose on the speed and just, like, just have a blast. Very next level, water level. I think the the first Sonic game actually hits you with a water level right in the second level. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why? Why would you do this? This is evil. (laughs) Because Sonic Team hates you. You personally. (laughs) And then there was uh, Sonic 3 and Sonic & Knuckles, which uh, pioneered the concept of, uh, of additional game content before d- downloadable content was even within the realm of possibility. Well, the, the, that, um, that plug-through cartridge, what the hell is this? We, we've never seen anything like this before. You know, it, 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 it's, it's really hard to kind of understand how exciting that was back mm. in the day, because nowadays in the days of DLC, it's like, you know... You can ha- you can you can have a piece of DLC or a or a patch or an update completely change the way that a game uh, plays. You can, you can completely change a game completely with just a single patch. But you know, back in those days, you know, the idea that you could, you know, that you could go back and alter what was already in a game. You know, it was it was you know gaming in general was just a very experimental time you know look at all the failed peripherals and add-ons that came out in the days people were just trying everything that was possible so when something like that came out and it worked 
Like, we're like, oh, oh, wow, here's a Sonic game. You can put an older Sonic game in it and play through the game with a new character. We were hoping that, like, you know, that would become, like, the new thing. Like, you know, Mortal Kombat 3 would come out and it would be a plug-through cartridge. You could plug Mortal Kombat 2 in it and use MK3 characters in MK2, you know. Which we kind of got our wish with Mortal Kombat Trilogy, but, you know, kind of, you know. That's, that's a different anniversary show. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's just this experimental phase in gaming. In, it was just perfectly exemplified in Sonic 3 and Knuckles. Um, which so, I'm... There, there was also the aspect of exploration. I mean, in Sonic 3, there's all these areas where you're like, well, I can't get into there. What the hell is that? And then Sonic and Knuckles comes out. It's like... Oh, that area's for Knuckles! And all of a sudden, there's like whole swaths of, of game that you didn't realize were there. Well, it's because we didn't learn until like 10 years later that Sonic 3 and Sonic and Knuckles were originally supposed to be one game. Mm. Now, I, this, is, this is where I've got to kind of, I've got to throw out my, uh, my, my piece of trauma here, but I have actually never beaten Sonic the Hedgehog 3 Ooh. with Sonic or Tails. Oh, and I'll give you three guesses as to where I got stuck. Bet you it'll only take one. Is it the barrel by any chance? Yes, the fucking barrel of doom in uh, in Carnival in in Carnival Night. I have had so many conversations with friends of mine here in the city where I live at Summer of Sonic with you guys uh, at conventions. God knows, I, I must be the only person in the entire fucking world who never had a problem with that bloody barrel. Possibly because I'm the sort of person who will try all of the things before I give up. Well, see, here's the thing, is that that's the only barrel where you absolutely have to do that. All the, no, other, all the others, at least in the, in the get, U.S., can, at least in the U.S. version. With, yeah, you can get away with jumping on some of them. But in the... I don't know if it's just because the PAL version runs slightly slower, but you do have to push push up and down on two of them in the UK version. Yeah, Especially no, if you want to get to one of the higher power-ups. Yeah, no, in the US version, you could get away with jumping on all of them except that one. And there, was no, there was, wasn't even anything in the manual that said to press up and down. And it, 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 it created this, like... This shared this barrel created a shared brotherhood among '90s Sonic's fans. The moment that I realized that a friend of mine was going to be my friend for life was like I was at his house and I was digging through his old game collection. Like, oh, you've got Sonic Three. Yeah, I've never beaten it though. Really? Me neither. Carnival Night Zone. Yeah. Barrel of Doom. Yeah. We are brothers now. <laughs> <laughs> so you know. So Yuji Naka was at uh, Summer of Sonic uh, for the the twentieth anniversary. And uh, somebody actually asked him, it's like, so so, what was with the fucking barrel in Carnival Night Zone? And he was like, that wasn't my fault. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, nothing to do with me. It was the level designers, honestly. Oh, God, please don't kill me. Ah. <laughs> uh. So, but anyway, uh, putting putting the train back on the track. So, the Genesis day, Sonic was just like at his zenith. Like it seemed like like Sega could do no wrong. So, I guess now the the question is is sort of you know what happened afterwards? Because I remember Sonic almost completely bypassed the Saturn. He had yeah, a couple of that Sonic Extreme. He had a he had a, a couple of he had kind of a re, he kind of he had kind of a a, 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 a resurfacing. On the Dreamcast, and even had a couple of real, real stinker experiment games on uh, on the Genesis and the 32X. So I guess sort of the 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 question that I have is, you know, 
especially with the move to 3D, why it doesn't seem to be so difficult to make to why does it seem to be so difficult to make Sonic work in 3D? Because um, it seems like whenever he's in a whenever he's in a 2D game, it's almost always a phenomenal gaming experience. So I guess sort of the question is is where do, where do you think the decline started? What do you think was the catalyst of it? Frankly, I think the the Saturn era was a, a severe problem, and I think that the development and then abandonment of Sonic Extreme did it no favors at all. The fact that they it skipped a, a console generation uh, meant that it. It lost momentum, uh, and even considering that, yeah, it did have a renaissance on the Dreamcast, but the Dreamcast was ahead of its time. And I know this is a cliche, but it was, um, and didn't do that great outside of Japan. So it lost a lot of fans. And I think the problem with the switch from 2D to 3D is that the 2D Sonic games rely a lot on precision. It is very, very difficult to be precise with an analogue stick. Now, anybody who's tried to play something like uh, a shooter game with uh, that requires dead-on precision, you know, if you're doing sniping or something, will tell you how long it takes to actually line something up using an analogue stick unless you've had a lot of practice. Um, so the fact that you've lost that precision, which is so much a part of... Um, the, the 2D Sonic games. There's a there's a section in Sonic 3 where to get um, a sh one of the shield power-ups, I don't remember which one it is, you can jump over a set of spikes and land on a single pixel to get that, and then uh, jump over to get that, that power-up. And it, the game allows you to do that because it's that precise. The moment you switch it into 3D, you've got a, you're using an analog stick to control it, that's gone. And as much as I adore the Dreamcast Sonic games, and I do, they are not, they don't have that level of precision, and that hurts them a lot. And it's it's something that they only started actually fixing when they got to Sonic Colors and Sonic Generations, because they went, how about for certain sections we where you need that kind of precision, we just flip it into 2D? Mm. Okay. Um, yeah. And that that became it. it it really hurt the the game and it hurt the momentum. If they if they'd managed to get Sonic Extreme off the ground, maybe they had a, they would have had a different paradigm and they would have been able to do something with that. But they didn't, and I think that hurt it a lot. Also, I think the fact that they cancelled Sonic Satam for Power Rangers didn't help. <laughs> well, I suppose that not, not that I am in any way bitter. Kill main burn destroy. Well, I suppose that uh, that that brings us to uh, something else, to, another uh, topic of discussion, which is uh, Sonic was also one of the few uh, video game characters in the '90s to have an actually widely established expanded universe mm -hmm. with uh, not one but two, not one, not two, but three. Count them three cartoon series over the course of the '90s. Mm -hmm. Um, which and two and two different comic lines, one yeah. here and one in America. So it, it it was. So let's talk. Let's talk a bit about that now. Uh, again, I I kind of have to accept, you know, kind of beg for sympathy here because my first exposure to Sonic as a cartoon was in the uh, the weekday Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog show, <laughs> which 
which I remember loving as a kid, but now I go back and I watch it, especially now that I, you know, that I've studied, you know, classical classical animation as much as I have. I'm just kind of like, why did I ever find this enjoyable? Like one 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 episode is about is about Robotnik building a robot that goes out and tries to destroy music. Why? Why did I enjoy this? And um, I didn't. I actually didn't discover the Sad AM show until after it was canceled, because when it aired. When I was growing up, the network that it aired on didn't show it until didn't show it except at six o'clock in the fucking morning, um, followed by Mega Man and you know, who you know, yeah, Saturday morning cartoons are kind of a sacred thing. But I'm not waking up at bloody five thirty in the morning to watch a cartoon, or at least you know my parents wouldn't let me. So I didn't get to see it until after it was already canceled. So, um, you but, have my deepest and most profound sympathies. So, so let's let's talk a bit about these. First off, I guess the question is, how did it happen that these two cartoon shows ran concurrently with each other, and how does one explain the enormous difference between the two of them? There are two different ways that you can look at Sonic. There is the very much uh, the kind of the bright colors and the speed and the slightly ludicrous concept it's a bright blue hedgehog that runs at the speed of sound what in the shit (laughs) um we were on the really good speed that day oh yeah (laughs) they were on the special drugs um and at that point you look at this and you say like what in the fuck and at that point you can just you can go in that direction as far as it will go and you can go balls out bonkers um and have that 90s thing about we can do what we like, let's not give a shit and make it as eye-searingly bright and vivid and mental as you can Um, and they did with Adventures or you can look at it from the the other perspective which is this is a pro-environmentalist fable you know, an evil guy who wants to pollute the world and imprison all the creatures and chop down all the trees and there's a there's a, a woodland creature who's trying to save them now Satan went that direction and then they went oh cyberpunk's becoming popular let's put a, a hefty dose of that in and by hefty dose I mean like you know that scene in Red Dwarf where List is making a curry and he takes out a generous spoonful dumps the tin into the pot and then puts the spoonful back in. All the cyberpunk! (laughs) Um, I'm not kidding, I know so many people who got into uh, the cyberpunk aesthetic because of Saturn. And went on to stuff like Ghost in the Shell and Blade Runner and things because of Saturn introducing them to that style. You've got two, two different animation companies who were given the same material and look at it in entirely different through entirely different lenses. Uh, Satam had good acting. It had more solid and sometimes incredibly beautiful backgrounds and animation. Um, and it had a solid and solid storyline with solid characters who made sense and occasionally did stupid things but it was a cartoon 
um, Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog was let's just take all the drugs and do whatever the fuck we want. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how you end up with two things that are that different. Despite being just being commissioned by the same people. And then, uh, of course, the Sad AM was also uh, bolstered by the fact that it had a, a pretty successful comic series uh, running alongside it that I, mm-hmm. I think is still running to this day. It's still it? running to this day, yeah. It had several reboots, reboots the, though, I've heard. It's, it's the longest-running uh, tie-in comic ever, last I heard. Uh, we had a comic series in this country as well. Uh, Sonic the Comic, or STC, produced by uh, Egmont Fleetway, which is why you occasionally hear it referred to as the Fleetway comic, because that was the publisher. Um, again, it was quite different. Um, now, it, was it was it also based on Sad I Am, or did it do its own thing? No, it was a different continuity entirely. Uh, it was based on what's referred to as the European or the English uh, backstory, insofar that Sonic was originally just a, a plain brown hedgehog who got his super speed and uh, the blue colouring because of the man who later became Robotnik, who at the time was known as Kintable. And that was that backstory. And uh, there was an accident and uh, Kintable, a kindly old scientist Kintable um, think uh, Doc Brown sort of a figure um, was like infused with a bunch of evil uh, and became Dr. Robotnik and started trying to take over the world. Uh, Sega knew nothing about this um, this, this continuity story and were like, what the fuck, when they found out about it. <laughs> but by that point it was established in Europe and this was the backstory that everybody knew. What the hell are you doing with our characters? Well, we're doing this. Stop doing it! But we've made all this money. You may continue. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> um, the other, the But the interesting thing that everybody I know remembers about um, the STC comic is their version of Supersonic. Now, their version of Supersonic. Think psychopathic, super-powered evil side. For those of you who have ever watched Bleach, think Ichigo's hollow side, and that's more or less where we're going with it. Uh, Every time Supersonic got loose, he would basically wreck everybody's shit, to the point where there was an entire storyline where Sonic was kind of doing the Bruce Banner Hulk thing, Every time he got upset, he would turn into supersonic and everybody in the vicinity would be killed. And there's this really... Now, is that is that is that air quotes killed? Like, oh, they're just unconscious? Or are we talking like uh, like actual killed here? Well, this was the thing. Uh, the, the, the cliffhanger for one issue of the comic, the, the, I think it was the first or second part of that storyline, um, was uh, supersonic had just blown up um, a plane, which as far as he was concerned, had all of the other freedom fighters on it. Tails, Amy, all of them. And Supersonic had just blown it to Kingdom Come, and then Sonic transformed back into himself amidst the burning wreckage of this plane, and just stands there with this thousand yard stare, and that's the last panel of that issue. Damn. Yeah. 
There are reasons that people remember this storyline. You know, for kids. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was that sort of thing. All of the Sonic fans I know in the UK were such huge fans of, uh, of Sonic, the, Sonic the Hedgehog, I guess, uh, the Sonic the Comic, because it did stuff like this. You know, it, it was was not afraid to do bonkers things or dark things or incredible epic storylines. Um, but it was very, very different tonally from uh, the Archie comics. Oh man, yeah, it's just like like I, that's, that's that's the thing that that really just sort of surprised me about Sonic is the malleability of the character. You can you could be doing, you know, you you, you could be doing something like completely off the wall Looney Tunes with him and have it make sense, and then do like this large sweeping story. You know, uh, like I remember the Death Egg saga from the Archie comics. Mm. Which was like you know the the you know to me is one of the best comic comic stories I've ever read. Um, take that with a grain of salt because I don't have much of a, a basis of comparison there, you know. But I'm just like you know, wow, you know how 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 you know how how do you get this epic storyline from such a from such a silly premise? Well, I guess I must have been on the really good speed. No, that day we were on the ecstasy. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, just the malleability of the character, I think, is one of the reasons why he's he's stuck around as long as he has. And I think another thing that sort of gave him a shot in the arm, which, you know, it, it, it seemed disastrous when it happened. Uh, but I think Sega's move from being a console manufacturer to a third-party developer also really helped him. Because now Sonic is able to appear on multiple consoles and reach even more uh, players and fans than he would have been able to had he just been exclusive to one console. Yes and no. Um, the The problem with the the third party developer thing is, uh, well, partially you ended up with stuff like the the three game Nintendo deal, which less led us to less than stellar efforts. Uh, like uh, Sonic and the Black Knight and uh, Sonic and the Secret Rings. I don't think they're appalling games, but they're badly flawed. Um, and then there's Sonic Boom Rise of Lyric. Which I've played and... Uh... I'm very sorry. You have my deepest and most profound sympathies. <laughs> my. Uh, I will send you details of a, a good counsellor. I, I'm fine. It's the it's it's the it's my Wii U that's pissed off at me. That's that's the <laughs> third that's the third time that a console has gained sentience and and refused to play a game for me anymore. <laughs> the, the thing was that because Sega is going through some financial issues, especially after what happened with the the earthquake and tsunami, and like. Uh, a bunch of their offices being completely demolished. Um, they farmed out the development to a company called Red Button Studios, who had never made a platform before. And at the time they were given the project, were about it was about a 16-person gig. I'm sorry, but you don't give a mainline Sonic game to a studio that's never developed a platformer, and has never used the engine they're on about using before. Which and only those, has sixteen people. Which for those who don't know, the engine they were using was the Cry engine. You know, the one that's developed for shooters. 
and uh, eats uh, console hardware. <laughs> yeah. Nobody, and incidentally, nobody had ever tried to adapt it for the Wii U before, so there was no documentation on how to do that. They had to do everything from scratch with 16 people. Even if they hired, like, a whole bucket load of extra people, they'd then have to train them and, you know, get them to, to, their, to up to speed on their kind of work ethic. If you're not sure how this sort of stuff works, go and find a book called The Mythical Man Month. Piling more people on it does not help if they're not all pulling in the same direction. But, I mean, it's not all bad. Sonic's had Sonic's had a few uh, really good games over the last several years. I think my favorite uh, of the recent Sonic games is uh, Sonic Generations. Oh, yeah. Which I love I, Sonic Generations so much. Which I recently picked up on, uh, on the PC uh, over the Steam Summer Sale last year and then also discovered that it's got a bit of a modding community behind it. Oh, yes, it does. So I was like, Hi, Sonic Retro. Ooh. Uh, the, I, 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 you know, I, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the, on the show, but one of the things that draws me to a game is, can it be modded? What can I do with it? So, you know, I'd already gotten Sonic, uh, you know, I'd already gotten Sonic Generations on the PS3, so I'm kind of flipping through the Steam sale, and it's like, oh, Sonic Generations, five bucks. Ah, well, you know, I'll pass, I'll pass, I'll pass. And then, uh, a friend of mine who was, uh, hanging out with me is like, you know that there's a there's a bit, there's a bit of a mod community behind Sonic Generations. And I was like, really? I was like, yeah, it's tricky to do, but you can do stuff like uh, patching the theme from the Sonic Sat AM show into the into the the music file, so you can listen to it while you're playing through the stages. And immediately, an image flashed in my head of playing through uh, Green Hill Zone with the Sonic Sat AM theme bla- blaring on my stereo, and I was like, I must have this thing. There's also I will never be able to achieve lasting happiness until I have done this. There's also the the various modders who have um, patched in uh, the levels from uh, the Dreamcast games. Uh, things like I think Metal Hub is definitely one that that's been more or less completed. It's a little bit glitchy, but it works. Someone told holy me, shit, it looks good. Someone told me about one that I want to try where they got all of the, 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 the day Sonic levels from Sonic Unleashed to play in, in Generations Engine, and I was like, oh. Yep. <laughs> nice. Yep. So, and then uh, there was the follow-up to that. Um, what was the one that came that came out after Generations? I'm trying to remember you what mean was... Co- you mean Colors? That came out before. Yeah, but the, no, the one that came... The, although that was also sp- spectacular. I'm talking about... No, the one that came after Generations. Um, it was... The, it was it, Robotnik wasn't the villain. It was these, like, little multicolored... Oh, uh, Lost World. Lost World, that's... Yeah. Like, Sonic Lost World uh, did really well when it was released. And uh, you've talked before about Sonic Colors uh, on the Wii, which was... Uh, which I haven't played yet, but I've heard nothing but good things about. Son- uh, Sonic Colors is worth playing. It's It was basically... It, it feels like a dry run of generations in a lot of ways. It's not quite as polished, partially because you're, you're working with, with Wii hardware, but it's loads of fun to play. I don't think it's quite as good as Generations, but it's it's worth playing. Okay, so we've talked a bit about Sonic's past. We talked we talked a bit about his impact on the on the scene. But one of the thing that I want to ask because this is something that that really surprised me um, that well that you really surprised me with when you came on the show, and that's how passionate and huge the Sonic fan base is mm. nowadays. I when when you first came on the show, I thought you know I hadn't thought about Sonic for years, and then <laughs> you came on the show and you were like, oh, there's this whole big huge huge community. Still around, so I guess now my question is: Is what is it about Sonic that this fan base has endured and continued to grow uh, over these long periods of no releases or subpar releases, and 
you know, I mean, let's let's be honest. You know, there was a time where Sonic was pretty much just a running joke in the industry, but this this fan base has stayed and has endured. So what what is it about Sonic the Hedgehog that has created this lasting impression with so many people? I think you touched on it partially yourself, is the fact that you it's so many things to so many people because of that flexibility and malleability. You know, they've they've done uh, historical epics, they've done uh, time travel, they've done fantasy, they've done sci-fi. It's so many different aspects of that ver- the various different Sonic universes which appeal in different ways to different people. We've also got the fact that a lot of game franchises... I mean, especially compared to Mario. Do you, does does Mario have a solid personality compared to Sonic? Sol- solid in that you in that you can't really you, you can't really change it all that much. So solid like stone. Yeah, but there's 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 not a lot of depth there. Yeah. Whereas you know because of things like the comics and the TV shows and the. Uh, the game and, and some some of the games certainly we're going back to the things like the Dreamcast games, uh, Sonic Adventure Two. There is so much depth there, and there's so much you can explore with those characters, and you know look at them from a different direction, put them into a different situation, and see how they'd react. Uh, it's also the fact that the design of the characters looks great. And this is great for artists, you know, you can do all sorts of interesting things with the characters because they are very distinctive and very visually appealing. And we talked earlier about the music. There are so many, um, there's, a, there's a huge community of Sonic um, music fans and, and remixers and chiptune artists. I mean, uh, OC Remix has produced, I mean, like, what, four albums of Sonic music now? Sonic Stadium has produced three albums, some of which are like triple albums of music that's inspired by the Sonic series. There are so many different aspects that appeal to people. And I know a lot of people reckon that, you know, the Sonic community is really divided and they fight with each other all the time. That has been exaggerated so far out of proportion it's not even funny. Yeah, we'll debate. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll throw down about it, and we'll have a good scrap about it. But at the same, at the when it comes right down to it, we're all fans. If you go to something like Sonic Boom in America, or Summer of Sonic in the UK, or the other Sonic events, there's no arguing. We're all having a drink together. We're having a good time. We're having a laugh. We know we know what we're about, guys. <laughs> And that's the fact that there's this really cool blue hedgehog that we have a great deal of fondness for. Okay, so what do you what do you think uh, Sonic's what is in store for Sonic's future? For Sonic's future, now we talked earlier in the show in the Ask Geek about uh, a movie. So uh, what do you what 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 other kind of thing what what kind of future do you think Sonic has in uh, today's uh, gaming landscape? It's a bit hard to say at the moment. Um, I think. Oh, I really hope that there's a another game for that announced for this year other than um, Sonic Boom Fire and Ice for the, the 3DS. Because that's nice and all, but we want a proper game like Generations. Because Generations was amazing. More like that, please. That, that you know that's that's sort of a question. I mean, you know, because they they did Generations five years ago for the 20th anniversary, 
mm-hmm. you know, and I'm kind of surprised that they wouldn't, you know, one of the big complaints that I heard with Sonic Generations was, yeah, it, it covers a, a lot of Sonic's history, but there's also so much that's been left out. You know, do you think, do you think, you know, I guess my question is, why didn't they do something similar sort of this year for this anniversary and kind of do sort of a, another big historical, you know, retrospective game? Well, there's rumors flying around that there is going to be another big announcement, but um, the last I heard was that it was supposed to be in February, and we haven't heard anything yet. Um, But there's been various rumors swirling around about stuff that's going to be announced this year. There's a bunch of events that are going on in celebration. Most of them are in bloody America, irritatingly. And there's a... Um, the Sonic Adventure musical experience where Jin Sanaway and uh, various other people who have been involved in making Sonic music are going to be there. That's in Tokyo. Again. Grr. Um, we didn't have Sonic uh, Summer of Sonic last year. It'd be really nice if we had it again this year. Hint, hint, hint. Um, but Summer of Sonic was is traditionally not announced until pretty late in the in the year pretty close to the event so that'd be good uh but frankly if if they do if they do a big epic movie that's really good that's going to revitalize things so much all by itself okay well i mean on the summer sonic thing i mean don't 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 you know the people who run that show can't you call them up and say hey you know charlie what's uh, what's the deal with summer sonic this year well i have and they've been really cagey about it I was just ripping on you on, on, on the running gag on you knowing absolutely everybody and then you go and prove it's true again. <laughs> you know I mentioned Sven, Sven and Kevin earlier? <laughs> yeah, that's them. <laughs> uh, and Adam and the various other people who are involved and I've been like, guys, guys, what's going on with Summer of Sonic? And they've been like, we can't talk about it. Shut up. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I think that Sonic still has a pretty uh, a pretty long future ahead of them. Uh, I mean, you know, just the Sonic Boom cartoon's been doing really well. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the cartoon at least has been doing all right. You know, it's gotten a, a pretty decent reception. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the games aside, and of course, you know, we've still got Sonic showing up in places like you know Mario and Sonic of the Olympic Games, Super mm-hmm. Smash Brothers. You know, I mean, hell, Smash Brothers came here alone. You don't you don't make it into Smash Brothers unless you're you're a big name. I think I think. As, as the the third party characters have gotten in there already can attest to you know you, mm-hmm. you if you're in there you've got staying power so you know I I don't see Sonic going away anytime soon it so do, it, he needs a something strong a, like a strong anchor franchise of some description to stand on first you know if they if they're gonna do a mainline set of games that are similar to Sonic Gener- generations that'll be glorious. But they need to actually do it, or they need a film franchise, or a, car- a, a like a really good cartoon. I mean, Sonic Boom is nice and all, but it's cotton candy. It's it's n- it doesn't have any depth to it, and that's great for for younger kids. You know, they've got their this generation's Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog. Where's this year, this generation's Sonic Saturn? We need that. We need the counterpoint. Because one's nice by itself, but having the counterpoint would be really awesome. Okay. And I think that uh, that pretty much says it all right there. So, uh, all right. So, we're, so that's about all the time we have for Nerd and Third Power this week. So, uh, yeah. Happy 25th, Sonic. And uh, hope uh, many more adventures to come. 
And thank you, as always, for tuning in to Nerd to the Third Power. We'll see you next week. As always, I'm Dr. Gonzo. I'm Scott West. And we'll see you next week. Talk and play us out.